You're listening to Dodge Movie Podcast. Your hosts are Christy and Mike Dodge, the founders of Dodge Media Productions. We produce films and podcasts, so this is a podcast about films. Join them as they share their passion for filmmaking. Welcome back, everybody, to the Dodge Movie Podcast. This is episode number 114, and we are talking about Identity Thief that came out in 2013. It is directed by Seth Gordon, who also brought us one of my holiday faves for Christmases in 2008. And in 2011, he worked with Jason Bateman on Horrible Bosses. He's also since done a lot of episodic TV. This movie stars Jason Bateman as Sandy Patterson, Melissa McCarthy, John Cho, Amanda Peet, John Favreau, T.I., Robert Patrick, and Eric Stone Street. The DP for this film is Javier Kiresarobe. Tried to give it a little flair there. <laughs> he worked on The Others in 2001 and The Road in 2009 and... The Sea Inside in 2004. The writer of this film is Craig Mazin, who also did Hangover 2 and 3 and Scary Movie 3 and 4. And Jerry Etten, who who wrote Elvis Took a Bullet in 2001. <laughs> not familiar with that one. but yeah, I, I, I'm not sure that's historically accurate either. <laughs> I'm curious now to look it up. The synopsis for this film is a mild-mannered businessman, Sandy Patterson, travels from Denver to Florida to confront the deceptively harmless-looking woman who has been living it up after stealing Sandy's identity. Years ago, when Cheers was huge, I remember reading an article in TV Guide where they interviewed Kelsey Grammer at his home. Mm -hmm. And the writer made a point that he was nothing like the character of Frasier. That he was this long-haired, Birkenstock-wearing, hippie kind of guy at that time. Mm -hmm. So I wonder, what's Jason Bateman like at home? Because he sure does play a lot of these straight-laced kind of accountant guys. Yeah, a lot of the videos I watched said that he's the perfect straight man. Oh, yeah. Which is a very difficult mm -hmm. job comedically. Yeah, very talented fellow. Yeah, that's what they said. The t I have three taglines for you. One is, is this the face of a thief? Okay, good, good. Okay, the second one is, is this the face of a sucker? <laughs> I guess that's referring that, to... Yeah, that's funny referencing the first one. Right. I, I don't know if it works as well on its own. And she's having the time of his life. I like that one. I do too. I like it. It's a clever play in words, but it, it kind of shows us what we're in for. Right. So originally, a little bit of trivia. Originally, Melissa McCarthy's role was written for a male character, but Jason insisted that she be that the part be changed, and and she was cast after seeing her in Bridesmaids. He was very impressed. Oh, as I think we all were. That was a yeah. great great turn of of a role for her in Bridesmaids. Those of us who knew her from Gilmore Girls were not surprised that nope. she had the comedy chops to do not at all that character and this character. But I feel like in Bridesmaids, her character stole every scene she was in. Absolutely. That, that was an incredible performance. Absolutely. So kick us off with your pickup line. What's, what's the first line of this film? Hello, this is Sandy Patterson, which is the film in a nutshell. The identity yeah. of Sandy Patterson. So yeah, this, you're right. This really keeps in line with my theory. <laughs> Another successful yeah. um, endorsement of your theory. Thank you, Seth Gordon and um, Craig Mazin. Mazin? Yeah. Okay. So... What do you like about this movie? I mean, I feel like I could go on and on. In fact, this is our second viewing in less than probably a month. 
Right. We like this movie so much that we actually watched it before we realized that we had to watch it for the podcast. So we watched it again to take notes. Um, Wasn't sad about it, though. That says a lot for a movie, I think. Not on the slightest. I I was amazed when you said it was 10 years old because it doesn't seem that old. Mm -mm. Uh, It seems more timely than that. I really enjoy the comic tension between the two Sandys, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Wilson McCarthy and Jason Bateman version. And also the heart, right? Mm -hmm. Her character goes through an arc and not to say the comedies can't have that part of it, but it's rare to see that. It reminds me in that sense of the movie Tag, which is also another one of my favorites. So I like movies that are that are very funny, that are hilarious, but also have heart. Mm -hmm. I feel like that is showcased in that first scene, because not only do they um, take us through kind of how she does what she does, because we see her call sandy to kind of set up the gag and then she's fabricating the credit cards in her home and then she goes out and kind of just goes on a bender and is spending money and she's buying everyone drinks and all this stuff and having this great time and then the bartender says these people oh because she says something like another round for my friends and he says these people aren't your friends they are just happy that you're buying drinks for them or he says something like that and her acting, you know, I mean, there's a reason she right. is good at what she does um, because we see the hurt on her face and she's trying to fulfill kind of a, an emptiness and it's temporarily filled by all these people cheering for her when she says another round. But then his words really cut to the core of the pain behind kind right. of those people not really being her friends. And I, I think we talked about this during the film, but I've said before I think Melissa McCarthy is very pretty and looks great on camera, but we have to acknowledge that she is of a larger build, which is current, not currently in fashion. And then they really tackied her up for that scene with her hair and makeup and clothes. And so for me, as the, the oddly shaped kid with the wrong clothes who no one really liked, I mean, I, I think we immediately do feel this sympathy, this compassion for her character, right? Like we, we establish kind of Jason Bateman as the stereotypical white picket fence, although you mentioned that they're technically living in an apartment, but he's like as white bread and all American as you can get, right? Just this kind of working class guy. So you, you feel sympathy for him, but then here's a person that you could maybe hate in her character, but we immediately, yeah, through a combination of her acting, but also how they set it up, they show that she feels excluded and, and left behind and abandoned. And then as the film goes on, right, we're given more backstory that makes it more poignant. But even the, in that bar scene, you're right, we see immediately that she's kind of trying to buy love and fill that empty hole with stuff. And so it provides a justification beyond just being evil. Mm-hmm. And, and like, to your point, when we see him kind of after she, <laughs> she gets his information, it's like cut to him at his birthday party with his loving wife and his two children. And he's right. so happy that <laughs> all he receives is like a paper tie. And, you know, so, yeah, to kind of play up that, oh, he's just a sweet dad with a loving wife and, you know, and he's just trying to get along. And then we see his character interact with, let me see if I wrote his name or not, John Favreau's character, oh, Harold Cornish. And he's kind of just a jerk 
to Sandy. And so now we're also compassionate towards Sandy. Right. I mean, Harold Cornish is, you might say, uh, an exaggerated caricature of upper management, but I actually think he's probably a fairly accurate depiction of an executive in that kind of company. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the little guy. But then what's great about the writing, as well as Bateman's delivery, is he's not that much different from her in that he immediately gets pretty snarky about Melissa McCarthy's character. And there's a a great line in there when uh, Amanda Peters' wife is concerned that he's going to fly to Florida to confront this criminal. And because he has her driver's license, he knows how tall she is. And he says, that's Hobbit height. We're going after Bilbo. Mm -hmm. And, And so we see him and he has this kind of, and through the first half of the film especially, He's kind of mean to her, right? Right, but I think that tracks. If, oh, yeah. If somebody stole your identity and is, he's already struggling because we've set up, he hasn't gotten a raise. And, right. And financially, like you said, they're in an apartment. And so it's set up the stakes. And, and now somebody messes with your credit and, you know, your assets. I mean, it would just. It, so to me. I don't think you would be nice to that person. No, you wouldn't. But. Um, one direction you could have gone with the story is him being like completely quote unquote good, right? He would be just always, oh no, let's find a way to make this um, work. And then she would be the opposite. But it more reminded me in a sense of like a War of the Roses where they were two equals going at it. Like Frazier and Ali throughout the film, they're kind of going back and forth and he would get the upper hand and then she would get the upper hand. So to me that worked out better because it helped her not be such a villain, right? And mm-hmm. it made the film, I thought, more watchable because it was the back and forth, right? Mm-hmm. Who's going to get the upper hand? Right. I loved the scene in the restaurant with Ellie Kemper. I mean, oh, yeah. let's take two amazing actors <laughs> who have amazing comic timing and throw in a third. Oh, yeah. And there's like the, the, the scene where she like, drops his soup and puts her thumb in it like <laughs> it's just her acting there is, is she perfectly captures just that seething disdain and so watching melissa mccarthy's performance both in that scene and other places as she so convincingly manipulates people yes with her stories yes. and so smoothly and i understand that the actor was given time to prepare and you know for the scene but it just comes across like you, you totally believe it yeah Oh, sweetie, it's okay. <laughs> right. I know I shouldn't eat, but <laughs> and 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 he's messed up down there. <laughs> oh, that's that's great. And his just kind of his sigh and his long suffering, like whatever. <laughs> like, yeah, no, it's just so well done. I know it's a great scene. The drug dealers confused me every time I've watched this. I don't. I guess they're there to kind of not only heighten the comedy a little bit but maybe to heighten the stakes or or why i don't know i just i i feel like a producer had a great idea or they (laughs) thought they did and to me they're just distracting confusing i think it's enough that that she's trying to fill this hole you know i mean it's it's like any other addiction you're trying to either numb yourself out or make yourself feel better and her spending money and trying to befriend people. I just, that whole storyline, they, 
it frustrates me every time I watch it. Yeah, I was just while you were speaking, trying to roll backward and figure out narratively what purpose they serve, and I couldn't come up with one. Mm-hmm. Part of it is I'm still not entirely clear why they're chasing Sandy Patterson Bigelow. Mm-hmm. Well, they're. I thought they were. Ch- Oh, are they chasing, like... They're chasing her. I thought they were chasing her because she, like, wronged them somehow in Florida. But, see, that's never been explained. Uh, As I think about it further, I think they said something about she provided their boss with fake credit cards that weren't of sufficient quality or what have you. See, Now that you say that, I think you're right. The reason that kind of fell away is because I don't think that a guy who has people who are willing to kill for him on his payroll would be using stolen credit cards. Seems like he would have other more immediate ways to get access to money. If they were that bad. Well, I mean, I think because did they hire Robert Patrick's character? Cause I guess, cause that whole chase thing, the fact that he, but she could have just, I don't know. I think they could have come up with another story technique where, he, she wronged Robert Patrick, maybe. And so he's chasing just out of sheer revenge. But he says, I'm a bounty hunter. So he's following her for somebody else. Well, when he said skip tracer, I assume she jumped bail. Um, cause she was arrested for the drunken escapades. Right. And, and that's how Jason Bateman's character found out about her. So, so maybe, yeah, we didn't even need the drug but, dealers. Um, those two, they could be chasing her without, uh, I think they had to be drug dealers in order to explain them shooting people, but I don't think they needed to shoot people. They could have just been chasing her because she gave him bad stuff. Anyway, um, that, that, that you're right. That, that subplot is a little confusing and doesn't feel like it's strictly necessary, but then it's almost like they just give up or I love, they elude them, I guess for the, the screenwriter to, to uh, call in (laughs) and we can talk about this. So back to things we love. I think yes. Eric Stone Street's character and then just how she's always lying about <laughs> pretty much everything. Sandy Patterson and oh yeah. And so she tells Big Chuck. Yeah, she she tells Big Chuck that Walter, Sandy's um pseudonym that she gave him, he likes to watch and he likes to be humiliated. <laughs> Sorry, I can't even get it out. <laughs> humiliated. And so it's just so funny. To watch him, like you said, more long-suffering. No, I don't. No, no I don't want to no. know this. I don't want to be here. And he goes in the bathroom while I can't even imagine being on set when Melissa and Eric <laughs> were filming that scene because I could, as a sound person, I couldn't have been quiet. Yeah. So as a person who has, against my will, been in the same room as two people getting it on. Oh, my gosh. I, I don't know that it's necessarily worthy of, of kind of what he he uh, goes to, the links he goes to. And in particular, um, turning on the shower, that's a waste of hot water. Like, really, guys. But it's it's funny for the gag. I love the belt as elephant truck trunk gag, right? <laughs> and that felt very improv. Yeah, that was, that was pretty funny. Um, and then I was also going to say that I thought it was funnier that they did that scene with mostly just really extreme close-ups. I think because your mind fills in more than than having Eric and Melissa do sorts of crazy hanging from the chandelier stuff. Yeah. But just showing that the different things. Just like her head over the edge of the bed or his head. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
And then at one point, like, I think legs went up and, and I thought that was, that made it funnier to do those close-ups. Yes. Either there was a snake harmed in the making of this or <laughs> there was a, a, there was a stunt snake. Right. I did not like that scene. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's not necessarily the most believable to me that you would lose your pants, but, um, it did set up him losing the pants and I, I don't. No, somebody who's a herpetologist could could write in and tell us if that's actually realistic snake behavior. But <laughs> by the premise, by the bit. I loved it when it's wrapped around his head. Well, I didn't love that part. But she picks up the 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 stick and it's got fire. And she yeah. he, he just says, what's the plan with the fire? Because <laughs> if she's going to whack him, now he's... He's snake bit, burnt, and, you know, some head trauma. Right. (laughs) So, (laughs) let's see. Her costumes. I have to say that I know Melissa, she even has a line of clothing. So, I feel like she had some input on Andy Patterson. What was her name before? Uh, Diana? Dawn Budgie is her real name, which I, I love. But it's interesting because in the credits, they call her Diana. And I think, was that her name? Yeah, that was the name she used throughout most of the film. Yeah. So um, I feel like she had something to do with some of those. And I was telling you on one of the behind the scenes, I didn't feel like this came through on in the film. But one of the, oh, it was the very opening scene when she um, gets booked and she comes in and she's dragging one of her feet and the (laughs) shoe, the heel of the shoe, excuse me, is just scraping the ground with this like high pitched squeal. It was, it, they should have left it in. Cause it made, it was kind of like that slow gag sometimes. Yeah. Like it was just really funny. <laughs> Almost Simpsons rake level. Yeah. I liked also her house because it just set up the consumption. Like she had multiple items. It almost looked like a showroom. She could have, you know. Yeah. So to me that, that says more, um, I mean, that communicates if you have the four blenders right next to each other on a shelf versus four blenders spread throughout the kitchen. I mean, it, it shows a certain kind of payoff, a certain kind of motivation. And I know that all, all of our production design teams, they communicate too. They're part of the storytelling. But in this case, that house was really well done because it, it informs the viewer instantly. As soon as you see the inside of that house, you know more about her character and the motivation, what's going on. And I thought it was also realistic that he goes around to the back door because I I think a lot of people do not lock their sliders. And and so you can get into someone's house pretty easily, most folks. Right. That's why everybody needs to get that dowel. Or a dog. (laughs) Was there any other parts of the film that you want to discuss? Well, I, I did particularly like... The running gag, of course, that he's named Sandy, which is generally a, a lady's name. But uh, the, the guy at the convenience store early on, mi nombre es Sandy. I, I thought that was really funny. Uh, I don't know if that's realistic, that convenience store workers would ridicule you for your name, but it was kind of funny. And so there's a, a lot of comments about her height and stuff. But I mentioned to you one of the, there's a, a shot, which is a sight gag twice when they're on the side of the freeway. And they go to a wide and she's running. And so this is visually funny because they're different shapes and she has those heels on. And I'm sure Melissa really amped up the ridiculousness of the run, took shorter steps, probably. I mean, she's a comic genius, so she knew what she's doing. 
But to me, that that was just so funny. And she's and he just lightly jogging and keeping up with her. And then she says, what are you, a Kenyan? Mm-hmm. That was pretty funny. I, I like that. But they have this back and forth that I think makes the film work. I think if either one of them wasn't as funny, it wouldn't work. So that's hard. I mean, that's all in casting. I mean, the writing is good too, but it really comes down to the actors. Well, and she's, you know, I mean, she's just a genius when it comes to physical comedy as well. And so I think she uses that to heighten the humor. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so they had a montage of her at the mall, like, you know, the Sharper Image store and stuff, buying <laughs> stuff. That was kind of fun. And then I thought it was interesting, the slow-mo walk when she leaves the salon, right? It, With like that hip hop song. Yeah. And that's often when they're walking away from the bank heist yeah, yeah. or the thing that's about to explode. So I thought that was kind of a clever, a clever thing. But I have to say from the... The perspective of this probably was our props department, but that dessert tray in the hotel suite in St. Louis was delish looking. I mean, (laughs) when they yelled cut, I think I would have taken advantage of that. (laughs) I'm going to ask, I know there was larynx trauma. Was there any head trauma? Okay. So there is some head trauma, but we had previously established that throat punches equate to head trauma, in which case... This is competitive with Happy Gilmore in the amount of head drama. Oh, this wow. Is it, this is it, it, tied in the clubhouse, I think. There is a lot. I'm going to skip even time codes. But she throat punches the bartender. Then she throat punches Sandy on the highway. Then she throat punches Sandy in her house. He throws a toaster into her head. He hits her in the head with a guitar. She throat punches the skip tracer, Robert Patrick. She beats the crap out of Sandy with a fiery stick uh, when he, uh, supposedly attacking the snake. Um, she swore, or He swears twice to avoid badgers, slamming her head into the window. She throat punches him again when she regains consciousness. And then lastly, she throat punches the prison guard. There was a ton of throat punching in this film. And did you see the trivia? It said the punch that Diana uses at least twice on Sandy Patterson and on other people in this film is a very dangerous tactic. A punch like that in the larynx is a killing blow, breaking the larynx and suffocating the person. <laughs> yeah. So I guess we should say kids don't throw a punch each other at home. Yeah. Do not use Don Budgie's uh, yeah. go-to move. But, but And she delivers it so well. And I, and I think, I, I don't know if Melissa practiced at home or in a dojo, but I, I think she punched funny. I, I could see her practicing... And Ben giving her feedback. No, that one was funnier. (laughs) I think we were talking about this at breakfast the other day, but I think part of it is, well, A, you don't it necessarily, a throat punch is maybe more of a Chuck Norris, (laughs) Bruce Lee kind of move. And so Don Budgie delivering it, but it just comes so out of the blue. And we've talked about this before that comedy is kind of when you think something's going one way and it takes a right. hard right turn or a hard left turn. Yep. And so um, I think that's what, what makes these throw <laughs> Sorry, Sandy Patterson, so enjoyable. Yeah, they're really good. I would love to see a little behind the scenes. My guess is they're filmed from a slight angle so she doesn't actually punch Bateman. Yeah, or but, just pulls it just right. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I know they're trained actors, so they're very good with their bodies and their space between each other. Yeah. But I would be worried if it was me and my dumb buddies, somebody would be a couple inches too close. Yeah. I want to see the outtakes of the, um, what do they call it? Something combat. What do they call it? Stage combat? Yeah, stage combat. 
Okay, I'm pretty confident there was a smoochie or two. Smoochie, smoochie, smoochie. I do not have a recorded smoochie, but there must have been between yeah. Bateman and Pete. Yes, right before he leaves. I think right when he comes. Oh, in fact, I know when he comes back, she lays one on him. I feel like, well, you're falling uh, down. I um, really am. I apologize to the listeners, <laughs> I, but I don't. Gosh, I, I don't remember one, though. But then I know that Melissa and Big Chuck smooched before they. Well, Okay, um, I may have to watch it a fourth time <laughs> not, uh, just to get my smoochies right. Not sad. All right, how was your driving review? All right, so there's quite a bit of a vehicular activity in this one because it is kind of a bit of a road trip, as you, you mm-hmm. may recall. Yeah, Bateman said that this one reminded him of planes, trains, and automobiles or Midnight Run. Yeah, um, I don't remember Midnight Run very well, but I do, I do see that planes, trains, and automobiles. So first of all, the choice of a 2003 Subaru Outback for him says boring suburban middle class like almost nothing else. <laughs> right. But also lending to them not having a lot of money. Yeah, I'm a little I didn't quite understand why he would let his vehicle get to empty where the out of fuel light idiot light Especially, goes on. No, well, I was going to say well that colors that he doesn't have a lot of money, but he establishes that he the one credit card he uses it for gas. So there yeah, there's no point for him to get it that low. Yeah, so I, I feel like the original script just said he stops for gas and some producer said, oh, why would he stop for gas? But he's obviously on a process trailer in that scene because his steering inputs do not match the view out the rear window. <laughs> the 2011 Dodge Charger is a very classic uh, choice for a police car, so that was well done. The racing stripes don't make that Fiat 500 any faster. There is a speedier model but that did not appear to be the speedy model there's i think it's hilarious that they give him a 2008 ford taurus as the rental car because that's just again it's it's pretty boring it matches his character and then there is when there's a a, it's near i think the end with the the highway and there's some crashes they did the dukes a hazard jump but again that almost always wrecks a car right they're not drivable after (laughs) <laughs> they, they land from that much impact. But ultimately, the last bit there, though, was $200 is a pretty good price for an 86 Chevy Caprice. Mm-hmm. They did well on that one. Mm-hmm. All right. Should we go to the numbers? Let's go to the numbers. This film opened up at number one. The, it's, it's opening weekend. It returned to the box office on its third week. It returned to number one is what I'm struggling to say. And then out of all of the films... Made in 2013, this was the 20th biggest grossing film. The budget was 35 million, and it made well more than that. A 5x overall worldwide, it made 175 million. Domestically, it was um, it brought in 134 and a half million, and then adjusted for inflation today, that would be like 151.7 million dollars. I know. It did well. So we're not the only ones that like it. It got a 5.7 out of 10 on IMDb and um, critics did not like this film. They gave it a very rotten 19% and um, but audiences liked it much better at 53%. It comes in just under two hours at an hour 51 minutes. It is rated R. It is labeled as a comedy crime drama. I don't know how much drama. A little bit, but not, I wouldn't say yeah. a ton. Um, more comedy. 
Um, it's an aggregate films, bluegrass films, and a Dum Dum studio productions. It did win a couple awards. It won at the BMI Film and TV Awards. Christopher Lennertz won for Best Film Music. And uh, Sandy, the two Sandy Pattersons were nominated for the Best Fight. I would have to say Don Budgie should go throat punch those critics. This film <laughs> is much better than a 19. I know. Totally. This one is, I mean, I think most people would agree with us because this is just good, clean fun. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not so clean. Um, all right, everybody. That will do it for this episode of the Dodge Movie Podcast. Be checking on the social medias so that you can try to see that image that will give you the clue of what the theme for this month is. We have a few, we have a handful of correct guesses. So get yours in so you can be considered for the the winner of the month, which will be announced on our first episode of May. And next week we will be talking about the Skeleton Twins with Kristen Wiig and Bill Hader. And never forget. Dodges never stop and neither do the movies. Thanks for listening to Dodge Movie Podcast with Christy and Mike Dodge of Dodge Media Productions. To find out more about this podcast and what we do, go to dodgemediaproductions.com. Subscribe, share, leave a comment, and tell us what we should watch next. Dodges never stop, and neither do the movies. 